It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. The show is called American Loser, and in fact, we cover nothing but losers from American history. I'm your host, KP Burke. With me, as always, my Dilf of a dad. How are you, LP? Absolutely, and we always give equal opportunity to all losers. We do. It is an equal opportunity show, and uh, guess who's back from his, we'll call it a vacation. What's up, guys? In accordance with the terms of a prisoner exchange, we were mm-hmm. allowed to get Kahuna back for a couple of episodes. I'm back from San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Oh, man, I missed you guys. Feelings mutual, buddy. We had, uh, oh, we had a couple man. weird things. We had people saying um, it was uh, uh, gang violence. Uh, <laughs> on Sesame Street, it was um, all of the above. <laughs> right, right, right. Counts a, the counts a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. He is. He goes. Uh, you know, he was he was smacking people around. It is what it is. Um, but I'm excited because you're back now. You were dude. supposed to turn one trick, <laughs> uh, 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 two tricks. <laughs> Jesus. Oh man, right banging away. on garbage pails always gets you in trouble on Sesame Street. <laughs> but real talk, I I was out for those who are wondering. Nothing fancy. I had a double ear infection, so I could I I was just seething in pain for about two double weeks. secret ear infection double yeah. secret ultra probation <laughs> ear not, not good for a sound guy no <laughs> not at all but now i'm back back again all right shady's back tell a friend back in the saddle again <laughs> well uh we got a goddamn good one here uh we uh we, we kept the train moving uh and today this is actually uh, i'll be honest let's let's i think this is fair to say dad for those of you who have not made the jump to patreon yet this is a patreon-esque type uh quality episode the topic is, uh, you know, something that you people know a little bit about, but they don't know much about. And the guy is absolutely fascinating. Every part of his life is wild. This could have been a Patreon episode, but we're going to give it to you guys for free because we want you to make the jump. We're just that nice, okay? And the people in the Patreon have backed us up. I mean, the reviews are through the roof for Patreon. People seem to really dig and appreciate what we're doing there. The Founding Losers Club. It's uh, running out of space for the original Founding Losers. but uh, What's the cap? Uh, should, how many you want to say the number dad what's the magic number for founding losers uh, could it be 47 uh, 47 you sure about that no I'm not exactly 47, <laughs> 57 I, I thought it was 56 F- 56 all right, 56 it should be you know. what are you making me do research in the Why middle of a podcast just make you 50 nifty it's uh well there's a reason there's a reason we have uh um the uh signers of the declaration of independence is one of the that's the founding losers then we're gonna mm-hmm. have the the articles of loser federation <laughs> uh followed by the uh the, the losers of rights and stuff like that. <laughs> that's right right and we got the amendments the uh, yeah <laughs> one for every amendment <laughs> but uh i'm excited today because this guy is classic loser fodder this topic can't come up with by none other than uh, our very own uh, lawrence patrick burke <laughs> All right. This was your you found this guy. Yeah, I found this guy. Now, you and me, uh, Kahuna's going to know this guy. 
He's going to know him. You're going to definitely know some of his stuff, you some of his work. You overestimate No, dude, trust me. You're Because this guy, everyone knows this guy, but no one knows why they know this guy. Okay. So uh, if you're looking for a good quote in American history, please look no further than today's loser, the esteemed and immortal Thomas Paine. All right? T-Paine, we're going to call him okay. for the rest of the show. T-Paine. Is he on a boat? <laughs> <laughs> Not major pain, but T-Paine. We, we found there's a... Don't, don't go giving away the jokes. All right. All right. Here Tip are in my hand here. Top three quotes of, of all time. And believe me, this was not easy. Okay. Uh, number one quote of all time from Thomas Paine. These are the times that try men's souls. You've heard that one before. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to give some context for that one today, too. Um, this one's exciting. This one gets, uh, you know me, I got my G.I. Joe, uh, my, my, the, my red, white, and blue blood, you know, f- That's right. coursing through my veins as the right. hairs stand up on my arms. And I can just picture Hulk Hogan screaming this one. The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. Another Thomas Paine quote. And finally, uh, officer, she was dead when I got here. Thomas <laughs> Paine. <laughs> That's right. I would argue that this guy is both simultaneously beloved and forgotten. His writings legitimately changed the world. You know, when people say like, oh, the, the Beatles music changed the world. Well, it did. Don't get me wrong. It definitely did. But this guy was just writing shit down with a fucking giant feather, you know, dipping it into an inkwell. Yeah. <laughs> writing on some parchment paper and actually changed the entire world. All right. So he's essentially, he, this shit goes viral when he writes it. Yeah, it That's changed a lot it. of minds for sure, no doubt. He is absolutely fantastic. I'd be fantastic. careful with that term, especially in this time. Viral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, it's interesting, though, because he's going to fight power structures in three different countries, okay? Three big name countries for his time frame. He grows up, uh, we'll call it the American Revolution era, okay? Just to give people an idea here. But uh, he makes uh, friends admirers and enemies out of two uh well honestly uh two of the biggest countries in the world and then one country that's turned into the united states of america um then uh on multiple times uh he gets himself involved in revolutions overthrowing governments of some of these said countries mm-hmm. right you know now, that's what you do on a saturday night <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he's got once you see the pattern with him too it's bizarre because he just uh, one of the great quotes about him I heard by this uh, over-the-top British uh, documentary we watched about him is that uh, they say that his uh, his constancy is his most remarkable quality because the guy's always fighting somebody. It, it's <laughs> literally, he's just, right. it, it's almost... Um, but he's well, not an anarchist, he's, he's but just... He um, is, he's got a Smedley Butler quality to him in terms of uh, believing um, He's like an early cause. activist almost? It, to the point where it's going to freak you out because his ideas are still being debated today. Causes that he was uh, a, a big deal with. So wow. pretty fantastic guy here. Um, again, multiple revolutions. Never really gets any money out of it. And then dies in obscurity after possibly being the single bit, biggest catalyst for change in the history of mankind. Right. Uh, the history of the West, if you will. Um it, it cannot happen without this guy sitting down and putting you know pen to paper. So if you want to think about it, there's really no other person to talk about than so Thomas Paine. no yeehaw without this dude? <laughs> Essentially, yes. Everything flows through Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine. Um, now, just uh, his legacy is more clear cut now, but get this one. Imagine when you're, uh, when it's all said and done, 
the three countries that you have an issue with or beef with where you're fighting for change from within, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of enemies that maybe either want you dead or would like to get rid of you. And then hundreds of years later, they're like, oh, no, he was actually all about our cause. So now these same three countries are fighting for, well, Thomas Paine really Credit, believed yeah. in us. We, he was really one of us. But uh, yeah. So it's kind of like uh, you ever hear this one. Um, so with Derek Jeter, uh, Yankee fans uh, will point out that, well, he was a New Yorker. Jeter was a New Yorker. But people out in Michigan will be like, well, Derek Jeter, you know, was he's from Michigan. But then people from Jersey are like, well, he was born in Jersey. So really, he's a Jersey. Kid. <laughs> right, right, right. So, we all want part of that fame. Yeah. So that's Thomas Paine now. Um, they said the, the British, uh, who he had a huge fucking problem with, <laughs> yeah, <really laughs> very quick to point out, well, he was an Englishman. Right. Yeah, he was born in England. Yeah. So. And then the Americans who we had, a, a you know, an interesting relationship with him, as we're going to cover today. Uh, we have certain things that we're all about with him. And then even the French still have uh, a certain um uh, romance uh, towards him, if you will. So <laughs> everyone claims him. Everyone's yes. like, "Oh, we wait, we did this." No, we did. Right. This. And at one point or other, everybody <laughs> discredited him too. So he's got yeah. an interesting life. It, this one's going to be a damn good one. So this is, like I said, Patreon level uh, entertainment here for free guys. Go ahead and feel free to make that jump for just five bucks a month. It's That's just five bucks, people. One cold brew from Dunkin Donuts that's it and you guys get regular quality stuff like this we're still going to give you good episodes during the week but we got a new deal with Mike and Ming we've been working out so we got to you know tighten down a batten down some hatches and whatnot but without further ado guys welcome to Thomas Paine American loser uh dad born in 1737 in Norfolk England uh not exactly the start of a real American hero, is it? No, that's, that's where a lot of the uh, what would later become American heroes really got their start, though. Let's face it, America started out as a British colony, so it makes sense that there's a lot of people that were part of the American cause uh, really started out in life in, in England. So, yeah. it's uh, it, There's always been a um, – it, it is a special relationship. I think they're absolutely accurate on that. Um Thomas Paine is the son of a Quaker. And as Smedley Butler taught us, the Quakers have a bloodlust. They just don't act on it. <laughs> <laughs> Quietly. Yeah. Yeah, Smedley wasn't too quiet about it. But, uh, um, yeah, the Quakers. And um, I think it's interesting, too, um, in my own research that, you know, so oftentimes we hear the Quakers and like, oh, yeah, yeah, those are the guys with the big black hats that uh, are often mistaken for a Hasidic Jew or perhaps a uh, uh, the Amish type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, the Quakers were very influential quietly in the whole start of the of the American colony, the British colonies, which would later become the American colonies kind of thing. And um, they really got their start under turmoil back in England uh, during the English Civil War. Um, there's a guy by the name of George Fox who really starts this whole Quaker religion, uh, more properly known as the Religious Society of Friends. But uh, they're a Christian denomination, um, but they refuse to participate in the war. Um, they're pl- plainly dressed. Um, they don't really uh, swear oaths to anything. Uh, but what's interesting is they've got some um, pretty forward thinking ideas and they were absolutely opposed to slavery. And to take it even further, uh, they were big on equality, both racial and gender. So there was a very strong female influence within that. And in our own country, in the United States, uh, we can see where those kinds of concepts or ideas that were quietly promoted. A lot of the suffer- early suffragettes were, uh, were Quakers. 
Um, actually, we had, I didn't find out until a couple of days ago that we had two presidents that would uh, claim a Quaker um, background. Hang on. Oh, wow. Hang on. Can I? I want to guess one of them. All right. Nixon? Yeah, Nixon was one of them. Now, he wasn't maybe the shining example of, of uh, Quaker ethos, if you will, but... Uh, Is no one going to uh, just compliment KP on the fact that I, he hit the yeah, nail right I, on the head? Really? Like, I really am like <laughs> stupid with this useless knowledge I have. That would never be useful in any other capacity. No, but, this <laughs> right, right. I mean, they're not real quick to jump on, on Nixon. It's like, yeah, yeah, he was he was one of us. He was one of us. But, uh, yeah, who's the second one? Us, maybe, but uh, check the sec- out our other guy. Yeah, <laughs> and the second one, which again has some positives and negatives, is uh, Herbie Hoover. That uh, he was okay. a Quaker, and um, as far as the equality thing is concerned, uh, you know Hoover was very big on uh, Indian rights, uh, Native American rights, um, that everybody should be treated fairly, everybody should be treated as an equal. Um, now, what's interesting is this uh, nonviolence uh, refusal to participate in war, kind of an idea. Um, they go against, um, or they're. They're ostracized or banished, if you will, or, or um, uh, put down by the Church of England because if you weren't part of the Church of England, you, you weren't allowed to play type of a thing. So they were banished, if you will, or ostracized. A lot of Quakers then came to um, the British colonies, to the New World, and started setting things up in Massachusetts Bay Colony. <laughs> they were persecuted by the Puritans to the fact where there was some that were were hung because of their uh, Quaker beliefs. A lot of them then skipped out of there and um, went into um, Rhode Island, uh, which again, which was a, you know, a, a separate, separated from Massachusetts Bay Colony to start their own kind of a deal. But they had a, our first uh, Jersey connection here. They had a really There's big. Be a few, I think. They had a really big uh, startup in uh, in 1665 meeting in Shrewsbury, New Jersey. No shit. Someone yeah. tell John Ross Cacosa. <laughs> and probably one of the most uh, famous or um, noted um, Quakers in early America is William Penn who was the founder of uh, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and Western Jersey. So there was three places where really the Quakers that were were tolerated early on, and that was um, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and what was West Jersey. Well, it was because they called sandwiches hoagies. I mean, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or grinders or submarines. Yeah, right. like, no. <laughs> Get it right, yeah, will you? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, at this particular point in time, there was actually two Jerseys. So if somebody says, well, they're from the Jerseys, what are you talking about? Well, there was an East Jersey and a West Jersey, but that was another whole that was another whole thing. But um, they were big early on, but quietly big. Um, and that whole equality. And they also believe that, um, you know, you didn't need some ordained minister to tell you how to pray, that it was uh, it was an introspective, uh, uh, self-reliant kind of a thing on, on your religious beliefs, that everybody has an equal opportunity and, and God is within within you, that you don't need a king or some uh, 
ordained uh, clergy to tell you uh, what to do or how to do it. Which goes against uh, a lot of the power structures of the time. <laughs> yeah, really. So he's coming up in that. And by the way, thank you. That was uh, that was quality. A lot of people don't understand. The, the Quakers do get in a little bit of trouble uh, during the American Revolution because of their lack of willingness to uh, bear arms. Uh, so G-dubs, you know, not a big fan of the Quakers. He had some beefs with them. There's some strongly worded letters from him to them, I believe. Um, but... Keep in mind, that hasn't happened yet. It's 1737 when he's born. Um, Payne yep. received some education as a youth, um, but was apprenticed to work as a, this was a, a, a staymaker is what the position was called. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to guess what a staymaker is, Coons? A staymaker? A staymaker. This is what young, uh, young Thomas Payne is now being brought in for, uh, that he's going to learn how to, this is his craft that he's going to learn. That's, you know, it's pretty much going to be his whole life. Uh statement is it is it some form of critic or like criticism or i don't know I'd... close uh in a way is it actually close or is it like that sympathetic <laughs> close <laughs> it's sympathetic uh, <laughs> no um dude you'll you'll like this actually it's uh, a staymaker was a person who uh fashioned women's corsets really yeah so imagine um going to get a corset made from a guy named Payne. <laughs> Payne's corsets. Do I want this? And it's actually spelled <laughs> really? with like not because uh, when I went to type it, it was like, oh, you mean Thomas Payne? Yeah. No, why? I was like, oh, okay. They're not the first of several pro wrestling mentions we're going to make in here. <laughs> yeah, but, he uh, started out, and again, his father was a Quaker, but his mother was Anglican. So even with his own early upbringing, there was kind of like a, an acceptance of other people's uh, viewpoints, type of a thing, ah, especially with, the, like with the Quakers. And then um, at the age of thirteen, he begins working. For his father now, some research said that yeah, it was a, a stay maker, and they were taking that to be uh, women's corsets. Um, but there was other historians that believe that actually being the town that he was in from Thetford, that was a, a seafaring uh, seafaring locale. That his father was actually making the thick ropes that they used on sailing ships. So these were stays for sails ah. and sailing ships, not that, but. Uh, to paint pain in a more derogatory uh, manner that a lot of them would say, well, yeah, he was he was, he was a stay maker, a corset maker. So that puts a little different uh, different light on it. That well, yeah, he's you know, it's, arguably it's the more of a put down to say that his <laughs> you know he was a corset maker than uh, you know a manly man with uh, the sailing ships type of a thing. So well, because he's arguably the biggest political political activist of all time but now if you're going to have him working in women's fashion you almost have to imagine vera wang changing the course of history for comparison's <laughs> sake um but you're right Payne does dream of this naval career which i can relate to um he supposedly uh attempts to join a ship called the terrible you want to go sign up for a tour of duty with the terrible <laughs> yeah, the good ship don't worry it's not as bad as it sounds okay the ship's called the terrible but its captain's pretty good his name is captain death <laughs> Hey, Dad. Oh, hey, KP. What's going on? I uh, I got stationed on the ship. Oh, that's awesome. What's the boat name? Uh, it's the it's the USS Terrible, but it's a great boat. We're going down to Central Florida. <laughs> it's um, it's nuts here. The ship he winds up eventually serving on is called the King of Prussia, and he does see some action during the Seven Years' War. Wait, it was called the King of Prussia, really? King of Prussia. Yep. <laughs> yep. Named after the casino, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was, no, it was definitely named after that mall. 
That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the king of Prussia Mall, yeah. And, and here he goes. Now, now the guy is raised, or at least his father was a Quaker, and now he's looking for uh, – you know, blood, guts, and gore, and, and the fighting life on a on a privateer. A privateer yeah. is illegal <laughs> pirates. Saying, yeah, illegal. A polite way of saying he's a pirate. Mm-hmm. He was uh, officially sanctioned by one government to go after the ships of another government, and that made you a privateer. So it's like a private navy. Not bad. And a lot of the privateers uh, would have their uh, letters of mark, if you will, get uh, changed up on them. So you'd be sitting there one day under the employ of England. And then England would say, no, 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 we're that those orders ended that day. You actually you're also a pirate now. So right. now there's a war. You know, there's a bounty out on your head too. wild times out there at sea. Um, now, Payne eventually will uh, return to England uh, and he will begin working again as a master corset maker. OK, settles down with a nice gal. He's about to become a father. Very sadly and tragically, his wife and child died during childbirth, which kind of leaves Thomas Payne's life upside down. He uh, then enters government employ as an excise officer, okay? Uh, His job would include inspecting goods that were being shipped in and out of the port. So pretty much he got a job down by the docks, if you know what I'm saying. Well, government job down by the docks. Don't slip your food boxes, don't look at these crates. You don't (laughs) got to, like, ask, just don't go near them. You see, Kahuna immediately understood (laughs) what's going to become Thomas Paine's first major political work. You, you, You were joking just now. But Are you serious? That entire, I swear to God, I swear to God, that's the entire thing with Thomas Paine is that he uh, he notices that as an excise officer, they're not paying them shit. They're getting paid garbage. And so like yeah, the idea your is- Your government wage, your government wage is, is very- Abysmal. Abysmal, yeah. yeah. Good word. So what's going to happen now? So Kahuna goes into joke mode of like, uh, you know, the dude's down in Newark, like, oh, you know, that container, we don't ask about that one. Well, <laughs> That's right. why, what's the reward for not asking about that container? Little grease into the palms, right? <laughs> so this port is completely, uh, absolutely corrupt. And Payne gets, uh, he's starting to get involved here with a couple of things. It's a difficult job to begin with, right? And then paired with the poor salary makes it very easy to get into trouble in that line of work. So these guys are getting bribed into either forgetting to log or logging in more amounts or less amounts than, you know, right. so they're playing with inventory. So. Yeah. Ex- excise man is the, is the tax man. And he was supposed to be keeping mm-hmm. tabs on what was coming in and what was coming out so that the government could then tax people. Well, if the excise man is on the take, uh, he's certainly going to boost his uh, government pay um, with little side jobs, as we say. Right. And old T-Pain doesn't want to do this. He's been in trouble a couple of times here and there because they'll they'll do an audit or something and they'll try to catch the or if he's a little bit of a rabble rouser, which he's turning into. Because unfortunately, at his current post, which uh, it is it Lewis or, or Lewis or Lewis, uh, England, L-E-W-E-S. I don't know Lewis. how to pronounce it. One of our uh, UK listeners, do me a favor, message me on there. Um, and then if you have a cute sister, tell me about her. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, especially uh, if she speaks with an English accent, I have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but so he gets to this new post. He winds up joining a debating society. The debating society. This is what I really like about England is that uh, because it was a developed country so long ago, you can literally walk into a modern esque building with old bones. Right. Kind of like Asbury Park a little bit where you walk in and it's like, oh, by the way, this is where Thomas Paine joined the debating society. And you're like, what? Like, I, I can be here? It's <laughs> it, So it's almost like one giant modern museum. It's pretty cool over there. I, I do want to get over there when I get a chance. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, he joins this society. 
So, and as we know, we've covered in American Loser, debate societies tend to uh, foster some some pretty radical opinions. <laughs> so almost like the stand-up of its day, you know, you got uh, Thomas Paine's up there doing the George Carlin thing. You know, here's the words you can't say on television. <laughs> but when does oh. he go on to narrate Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, T Pain is fascinating here, and uh, his his friends in the debating society they say it was almost immediately uh, everyone could see the prowess and his use of logic was, I mean, for a ladies a former ladies corset maker. To be dropping philosophical and you know logic bombs like he's you know friggin' an ancient Greek philosopher himself is pretty he was impactful. He's a maker. He was surrounded by women. Of course, he's, he understands <laughs> logic. Oof, oof, really? That's where you're going with that? One? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, but uh, it's interesting though because he makes uh, this this first political work of his, if you will. It's an editorial, aka a blog, right? So T Pain is a blogger. That's really what it is. <laughs> And yeah, it's you would talk. have a podcast with yep. me. It was a you blog at a time. Yep. Welcome back to T Pain's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he writes a twelve-page essay arguing to the Parliament for better working conditions and pay for the excise officers. Those opposed to this wage increase for the workers got a healthy dose of Payne's logic. He drags a big old logical dick across their face. And um, they're complaining. They say, well, if these workers are so easily corrupted, why should we give them a raise and reward them for their already dishonest work? And Payne goes, well, if they had better pay to begin with, they might not be so easily swayed towards corruption. Ooh. Yeah. That one landed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Payne's first work has over 4,000 copies made, and that's widely distributed. That's like... That's again. We're going to keep saying that term "viral," even though Kahuna pointed out the uh, the secondary uh, uh, <laughs> meaning of it. But um, yeah, and this is actually his first work, and again, four thousand copies. But that was pretty much at his own expense. He um, he wasn't it's making a mixtape. It's it very was, much a mixtape. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't making a whole lot of money on that. Um, and of course, uh, Payne's already got a, a hatred for the uh, the monarchy. And the establishment, I mean, because who's the guys that are p- probably not wanting these excise tax people to go honest is the people that are making the money off of their dishonesty. Because yeah. if you can pay somebody off. You, you, if you pay someone yeah, off. You're, you're gonna, making money on yeah. on, on the uh, cost of doing business by paying off the excise worker. So We want um, better wages. Yeah. Okay, here are the better wages. Now, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Um, so he's he's making uh, some some enemies w- with this whole thing with this with these uh, with his first published work, if you will. He's also shit talking the monarchy, and right? Shit talking the parliament, and he's just you know talking about the government's bullshit, blah blah blah. There's a little anarchy to young T Pain. He's uh, he's definitely uh, he's got a Ramones uh, patch on his jacket for sure. You know, he's listening to the Clash and shit. He's uh, so here's a guy that was trying to do his job honorably. Um, you know, and doing the right thing. And then he's calling attention to the, the corruption um, that's going on at, on the docks kind of a thing and, and who is making the money off of that. He's trying to do the right thing by having Parliament change things around. But, you know, there's, there's a way around this that we can square this around for everybody's good. And he's rewarded with that by getting fired. 
So <laughs> you're out. He's like he was a whistleblower. Yep. He's a whistleblower, and uh, good analogy. And, and his uh, his reward for that is you're out of here. You no longer have a job with the with the uh, with the government. Well, in uh, 1774, that, this, by the way, that move that they make, that's going to start his lifelong feud with government and power, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 1774, he separates from his second wife. Uh, not a whole lot in his biographies that we were finding on that. They're just like, oh, yeah, he got married again and then uh, just kind of bailed. So, uh, you know, who knows what the deal was. Um, but he uh, he narrowly avoids the debtor's prison. Right. Remember, uh, we've talked about a couple of people here in history. One loserception that's coming up about people that wound up in debtor's prison, which if we had not abolished, all of us would be in debtor's prison. So, <laughs> yeah. You can't pay your bills. Uh, you're going to prison. Yeah. Remember that student loan? Uh, you took, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to prison. Um, but he narrowly avoids that by selling a huge portion of his possessions. Guys live in pretty much. I mean, he's uh, the joke I have is I live out of a sea bag. So he's mm -hmm. not too far behind here. So he throws everything into the back of his Jeep Wrangler and hops in. You know, <laughs> He's uh, got those bare necessities. <laughs> <laughs> he winds up moving to uh, London, right? And uh, gets introduced in London to the godfather of the colonies himself. All right. You want to guess who the godfather of the colonies is? Picture, picture the opening scene of the godfather when they come in and they have to kiss the ring. And then they ask a favor of him. And then this a little bit overweight man behind a counter. Who do you think it would be? Come on, think Founding Fathers. It's not hard. It's, you, your instinct is going to get you there. I know this. Is it Washington? No, no, because uh, no, Washington is in no. the, the city. So who's overseas talking who's about America? Who's back and forth between America and England? I'll give you a hint. He's got syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm blanking, KP. I'm sorry. The king it's of Philly really... himself. The king of oh, Philly himself. No. Oh, Be Ben? Yep. Ben yeah. Franklin. Okay. Old big dick Ben Franklin <laughs> hanging out over there. <laughs> dribbling. No, I mean dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No sooner did Kahuna say it's too early that my dad has a gross dick joke. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, Sunquist family. Uh, by the way, Carl Sunquist has an album out. Go check it out. Good stuff. Um <sighs> Franklin sees in Payne a strong ally for his cause in the colonies. And he says, uh, Tommy, you got heart. You got brains. You aren't good with money. People kind of think you're a bit of an asshole. Have you considered moving to Philly? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, he winds up moving to Philly with a letter of introduction from Franklin himself. T. Payne is now in America, but it was not easy. All right. And uh, by the way, Kahuna, how do you think he got over here? Well, he whistled for a cab, and when his name came here, the license plate said fresh and had dice in there. <laughs> I thought that one, too, but it's even simpler. T-Pain came over here on, on a, a boat. boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't hop that jet plane, son. No. Not, not just yet, so. Well, he comes over on a boat, and unfortunately, uh, it's not an easy journey for him. He gets a really bad case of the scurvy that almost kills him, and uh, it gets to the point where uh, he legitimately, Ben Franklin has his personal doctor waiting in Philly for him. And the doctor has to carry T Pain off. So he literally stumbles onto the shores onto of America. Onto the shores of America. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, uh, luckily he's got that letter of introduction, though. Philly, interesting place around this time. Philly's always interesting, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a weird love for that city. Um, Loyalist City. Okay, so that's where all the Tories are going to wind up. We covered that. That's where the Shippen family is, uh, who have the hot daughter that gets ben, you know, Benedict Arnold to betray the country. Um, <laughs> 
Philly is, a, like I said, a loyalist city, but the topic of American independence is very easy to find in every tavern and boarding house. So if you like to, you know, when you were done on a, a carpentry job or something like that, Dad, hey, you and the boys go out for a beer afterwards. Gonna knock back a few. Yeah, we're gonna talk. Hey, you know, oh, we're done with that job. That's good there. Hey, we got another job coming up here. You guys want to overthrow the government? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Philly is actually one of the major cities of the of the colonies. I mean, it was Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and then uh, Charleston. But uh, um, yeah, that was that was key. Philadelphia was a huge uh, a huge influence in the early early America. Um, yeah, so he comes into into Philadelphia and um, you know starts getting a, a job, I believe, with a, a newspaper through one of uh, Ben Ar- Benedict gets hooked uh, up Ben Franklin's uh, contacts. Yeah. So the podcasts of the day, if you will, are magazines in the colonies, and there's one that they want. They want to have a specific one, kind of rallying the cause for independence here, uh, and it's known as uh, American Magazine. So Payne puts a couple articles out to him. The articles do well. So then he gets himself, the, the owner of the paper, literally hits him and he goes, dude, you need to come on board as an editor here. You know? I mean, you, you, you've got success in the early days of America when you call your magazine American Magazine. Yeah. Like, you already cornered the market. You're good. He's, uh, <laughs> it's the, the epitome of the, uh, the ground floor. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got that all hooked up. Uh, Payne also now, uh, he's just, he's got this habit, Dad. Is this fair to say? Of... Payne will see. He doesn't, you know, he's got a little Billy Joel to him. He doesn't start the fire, right? <laughs> but he will He will see a fire on the ground. Just go, I can't, I guess, over there. <laughs> I wonder really what go- would happen if I. <laughs> yeah. Right. So American Magazine, uh, he is now throwing heaps and heaps of gasoline onto this growing idea that America needs to separate from England. He also goes public with his absolute, and th- th- this isn't like, we're going to get to it or there's layers to it yeah, or over eventually. the next 30 years. It's a public denouncement of slavery. He felt it was a true evil and is credited with an article in the magazine titled African Slavery in America. And this would cause some strife between Payne and other colonies because some of the other colonies were agricultural based that relied heavily on the slave labor thing. But on the whole telling England to go fuck itself part. <laughs> yeah. Payne's your go to source. You want a mixtape of a battle rap kind of a thing. He's your guy. So. Then uh, Lawrence Patrick Burke, everything's quiet in the colonies to a degree. There's there's some massacres. There's John Adams is getting involved trying to, you know, John Adams and Sam Adams, by the way, if you want to talk about it, if you've ever been down the Jersey Shore and you've ever had um, a guy who's like a big meathead kind of a dude that's like, who the fuck are you trying to start a bar fight? That's Sam Adams. And his cousin holding him back is John Adams saying, think about it. What are you doing right now? You're going to get us kicked out of here. (laughs) We're going to get our asses kicked. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, so it's it's like, I'm on your side. I don't like that guy either, but we can't. We got to be. We got to do it the right way. Otherwise, we're going to get kicked out of bar A. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, all hell's about to break loose on April 19th, 1775. Dad, what happened on that day? Uh, that's when the real shooting started. I mean, different difference of opinions. That's when the bar fight broke out big time. <laughs> uh, but things were building. It wasn't just you know automatically we hit that date and then all of a sudden people are shooting at one another. Um, the bar fight to top all bar. The fights. tensions. Are, the tensions are certainly growing. I mean the the French and Indian War on this continent in the United States in America was known as the French and Indian War. 
over in Europe, it was the Seven Years' War. Well, that's over. That that ended like in 1763. England is is fighting France and has accumulated huge amounts of debt over this war. Um, it kind of boded pretty well for England in that they now have Canada and uh, lots of lots of territory and that type of thing. But again, just fighting this really a world war with, with France and Spain and a whole bunch of other people. They got huge amounts of debt. So they decided, well, we're going to start taxing the American, co- American colonies from England and then having that revenue go right back to England. Uh, up until this time, the colonies had their own like self-government type of thing. They were they were British subjects, but they were kind of deciding on their own as to who they was going to be. They had their own rules and regulations. They had their own rules and regulations, their own courts and, and everything else that uh, they weren't relying totally on on England with all the decisions being made. But now in 1764, to help pay for this uh, French and Indian War, uh, England de- – um, has this sugar act come in? Well, it's a tax on sugar. That didn't uh, that didn't sit real well with the colonies. And like, who the hell are you to tell us that we now have to pay you money when we have no uh, no um, say in the matter? That whole taxation without representation really starts to formulate in that particular thing. It goes on with the Stamp Act of uh, in 1765 where. Parliament passes laws, uh, and uh, there's a first-time tax on a lot of different transactions in the colonies. Um, and again, until a little stamp up until that time, too. Huh? sugar and stamps—not the exact things that you think are going to cause a revolution. Yeah, but I mean, this was like the first time that uh, they were ever being collected. So who's who's up for a new tax? Yeah. You know, who's going to be uh, all about that? Not so much, especially when the revenue that's generated is not even going to support your own homegrown government, but it's yeah. going to be shipped back to uh, to England. Um, I could see some problems arising. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the uh, the colonies are saying, hey, this is bullshit that um, we, we don't have a say in the passing of these new taxes and, and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, they were really not ready to say, screw you, England, we're out of here. Um, they're still looking to figure out a way that, you know, if you rescind this tax or, what you know, one way or another, we can, we can work things out. Um, then the, uh, they rescind one tax and then they heap on something new. And then they come up with these, the Townsend Acts in 1767. Where, uh, and if you're paying attention at home, by the way, this is years leading into the revolution. It didn't yeah. just all happen overnight. So this is this is all going on while uh, Thomas Paine is still back in England and now has now moved to America in, in Philadelphia. Um, but now they pass this new legislation um, where you not only have to pay tax on shit, but you also are going to have to make sure that you buy only from English goods. In other words, the colonies weren't allowed to trade with France or Spain or anybody or the Dutch. And by the way, another thing a lot of people don't think about is that France and Spain and also the Dutch, too, the the forgotten uh, uh, men of the New World. Right. um, But they're also it's not you're just trading directly with them is that they also have establishments on the same continent. So it's like um, imagine rules coming from 
overseas that you can't go down the road. Right. You know, so there's a bunch of different. Yeah, it's very it's confusing. So if uh, for listeners at home, a quick, quick breakdown of that, not to interrupt you. And I want you to get back into it. Yep. But uh, if Mike and Ming had, uh, you know, if, if Asbury Park Studio got opened up and Kahuna took it over. And then um, they were told, oh, and by the way, you're not allowed to deal with uh, anybody outside of us over here. But then right down the other end of the boardwalk is Kevin Smith starting up something else of his. You're not allowed to go talk to them. You're only going to deal with Mike and Ming. That's it. You're not allowed to go over there and deal with those guys. Meanwhile, they're closer to you than them. So right. that's where the confusion comes and in. And they're too. probably offering <laughs> services for a lot less money, too. So Yeah, and Spanish <laughs> girls. Yeah, um, right. There you go. You got that, too. Good old Florida. Uh you know, the, there's a um, bad blood between both sides, on both sides of the Atlantic. And then in uh, 1769, uh, the British send over 2,000 troops into Boston. Now, 2,000 troops doesn't sound like a whole lot, but Boston at that time is only like 16,000 people. So now you've got- It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of soldiers coming into, into our, little, our little town kind of a thing. And uh, things keep getting worse and worse. And then, you know, there's a lot of hostility between these soldiers in, in Boston, especially in Massachusetts. It seemed like New England was more at odds with this because the southern colonies were still, you know, they're pretty much pro-England kind of a thing that hey, they're, they are our fatherland, if you will, that we're not going to get into a lot of hostilities with them. We remember you the know, Virginian we, quotes, right? We, we are, we are um, British citizens after all. Although we're not getting represented, um, we still are British still- uh, loyals. Um, but then there's a little incident in Boston in 1770 which really started out as a snowball fight that there is some uh, longshoremen, uh, pretty much dock workers, because with the with these 2,000 troops, they also started shutting down commerce in and out of Boston. And Boston is a is a harbor town. I mean, it's it's they're making their living off the off the docks, um, and some of these uh, um, soldiers are being harassed by a by a mob and. They return. They re- return that with firing into the crowd and killing people. Well, what is this called, Dad? Is there a name? For <laughs> yeah. And of course, the propagandists, the guys like John Adams and, or Sam Adams, they immediately and Paul Revere, they immediately say, "Well, that's the Boston Massacre, where you're actually killing British subjects. British troops are firing on British subjects." And um, that becomes known as the uh, Boston Massacre. And then- Kahuna, you ready for a Snapple fact on that one? Uh-huh. Do you happen to know the name of uh, one of the men killed? In, uh, it's the first African-American to die uh, for American independence. He was killed during the Boston Massacre. So he predates the country itself, right? Guy's name is uh, Crispus Attucks. Really? Yep. Yeah, first African. He was killed in Boston. He was the first first American killed in the American Revolution. If I didn't you know will. if it was the first American, so I didn't want to say that. Yeah, I, I, we've got a lot of fact checkers lately. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with that. Um, but of course, this whole um, you know Boston um, British troops firing on British citizens—that's uh, a huge propaganda thing. And then Paul Revere makes uh, this engraving of this uh, that. 
was really kind of misleading, but it depicted British as certainly the aggressors. Yeah, so, a, a meme for those. Uh, so, so we have bloggers <laughs> and memes and early also, like early prehistoric versions. Of yeah. Memes and so blogs, I mean, things are content. things are definitely not going well. Though people are people are losing their lives over over these various uh, taxations that are that are being heaped upon the uh, the colonies, and then and and they closed down the. Uh, the, the port of Boston, or well, now there's a new tax that's coming in, the tea tax that leads to uh, the Boston Tea Party, where they're dumping um, tea into the harbor rather than paying the tax because you could you could buy your tea from from the Dutch at a whole lot cheaper. Um, but again, by British law, you weren't allowed to buy it from from the Dutch. Uh, so it just so happened that. There was a lot of guys in Parliament who had a financial interest in the um, in the tea company that was trying to sell the tea to the thing. So they didn't take that too well. Um, this just further escalates shit into the coercive acts of 1774. Dad, um, if I ever if I ever get told ever again by you, if I ever get given a hard time for giving. What about this thing, Kev? You went. You don't give me a whole backstory on it, Kevin, because you you bust my chops nonsense. <laughs> I'm sorry, I gave you a date. I gave you a date. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right. We're speeding it up. 1775. We're finally there. We get into the course of accident. 1775. The British march into Lexington to try to capture um, some of these rebels, some of these uh, um, bad guys like uh, Sam Adams and John Hancock. And they get into a little fracas, and now there's a real shooting war because the colonial militia goes out to face the British soldiers, and the, the fighting starts in uh, Lexington and Concord in 1775. So the shooting's on. There's still a lot of people saying, well, we can still make amends. We don't have to go to war on this. We don't have to declare our independence. We can still make nice-nice with the king and parliament right. and come back to it. But this is where Thomas Paine really jumps in big time um, with this. So, so if you had I didn't mean to rush you either, but well, you, you gave a lot of good info, a lot of the background. Yeah, you, I just didn't want it to seem like all of a sudden in 1775 we're shooting at one another. There was a lot of a lot of stuff happening here. Oh yeah, it pissed everybody that, off real good. It was pissing people off. So Well it's um also too, I just want to ask you one thing, because the the Americans shot first. If you want to get into that Han shot first argument. That's correct, right? The the well, that's still it's still, debated, it's to still debated as to who fired first, whether it was some poor farmer who was called into the militia got uh, you know a nervous uh, trigger finger. It wasn't proper uh, uh, Minutemen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the Minutemen. Minute there you go. Here. Now uh, a lot of that too was that those troops were coming in to take away the arms. Now the the Americans are saying, well, whoa, 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 we need at least the, our weapons to defend ourselves against you or against the Spanish or the French if they come in here or the Native Americans. Guns are important in America, right? So that was a whole big thing there. Lexington, by the way, just so people know, uh, you took us there on a family vacation, Dad. Of course we did. And uh, we walked around that the grounds. Over. That was really cool to stand on the same ground on that, the green. Yeah, and. Uh, but it was only about like maybe I think it was a handful of, uh, you know, Americans, if you will. And then a small amount of uh, redcoats that they were firing back and forth at. Concord was actually the big fight. That was that was when things were getting a little bit serious. Here. But again, as you said, 
George Washington is being quoted around this time. Thomas Jefferson is being quoted around this time. And they're all saying, oh, well, the Mother England, and uh, we don't want to separate. And I look forward to, uh, to you know, healing um, this rift between us and all that other stuff. And then they go over to Thomas Paine. What do you think, Thomas Paine? What, what do you want to say to England? And Thomas Paine goes, suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all hell broke loose, like you said, Dad, on April 19th, 1775. Now you're into this fun part of the American Revolution where people are dying. Armies are clashing with militias. The British crown, the leadership in the colonies are trying to work stuff out. Nobody seems to be able to agree on a whole much. You know, it's people are dying, but there's no war yet. It's very weird. So, and uh, what did we say about Thomas Paine earlier, Dad? That uh, what's he like to do when he sees a little ember on the ground burning? Well, throw some gas on it. Uh, if he threw gas on the fire of the excise officers thing or, or maybe making the American magazine, this is Thomas Paine dropping his cigarette into a pool of gasoline and walking away from a car that explodes in slow motion behind him. <laughs> All right. This is common sense, baby. All right. With the Quentin Tarantino soundtrack playing behind him. It really is. Uh, if you picture just him walking, almost like Man on Fire, Denzel walking away, like that's really what I, I envision this. <laughs> well, Payne's going to take some of his own ideas, then borrows from all the popular ones that seem to rally the revolutionaries and writes it down. Here's where Payne's genius comes through. He writes this pamphlet in an easy to understand, simple language that could be enjoyed by both the bourgeoisie type more on the bourgeoisie later um so like uh this would be enjoyed by you know people uh uh wearing gloves to sip their tea as well as uh you know the guy who's making the gloves as well as the tavern you know folk uh the carpenters the longshoremen you know everybody it's uh yeah he's he's not like a lot of the writers at the time were um very well-educated guys that now they're they're quoting, you know, putting Latin phrases and quotes in there that the common guy has no freaking clue what you're talking about when you're throwing yeah. Latin in there. So he's just in, in plain, ordinary, easy, easy to understand language why we should um, forget about reconciling with England over this whole tax issue and everything else. We're, we're out of here. We're going to start our own. We're going to start our own deal. I think a good analogy or metaphor for this would be... Um, that scene in Goodwill Hunting when um, the the guy with the long hair is is talking a little bit, you know, he, he's like, oh, and uh, uh, I don't, I, do you remember that class? I found it rather elementary. That whole, well, I got I, her number. <laughs> How about them apples? That's that's Matt Damon. That's Matt Damon popping in right now. Matt Damon is Thomas Paine coming in here and just be like, oh, you read that shit? Yeah, I went to the fucking library too, bud. And <laughs> Thomas Paine's coming in here, but he's he's a working class genius, if you will, in this way. Now, his uh, enemies are going to call him a propagandist. Uh, he is he's interesting, man. Um, his ideas that he's coming up with in this book is uh, great. Now, like I said, it's important because everybody's reading this shit. It's being read aloud in taverns. Being able to read, not that not necessarily common back then, but you could hear something and understand the emotion right. behind it. Right. So uh, they're playing his mixtape all over town, if you will. Uh, and this pamphlet is known as Common Sense. It's uh, extremely uh, important. He blames all of the troubles in the colonies and puts it firmly on King George's lap. So it's pretty much a mixtape, rap beef, calling him out kind of a thing. Um, in Common Thou Sense. Thou hast no Vaseline. It's really the truth. <laughs> yeah. he, it, you're not even exaggerating a little bit here. Uh, Payne rails that there's never a better time than now. It's going to happen anyway. We're eventually going to have to split with England. It might as well be us that are the ones that do it. So to summarize common sense, 
Uh, here is a, a quote from a, a famous song uh, from the late 90s that uh, I feel like um, a lot of people are going to understand the reference to. But in short, this is common sense uh, in one song. Uh, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a definitely a Pain smash hit. Machine. I mean, a lot of people was laying like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, this guy's really making a lot of sense. What I found really interesting is that at the time, the colonies it's estimated no census were taken up at this particular point in time, but historians estimate that we probably got about two and a half million people in the colonies mm -hmm. at this time. This sucker, this book, this common sense, it's really not a book, it's a pamphlet, but common sense uh, estimated 500,000 copies. So a half a million copies in a population of two and a half million people. Um, there's a lot of people buying into this shit. And again, if you can't read, somebody's reading it to you. Oh, yeah. and, and it's certainly being discussed. So, And it's on both sides of the... Uh, both sides of the Atlantic that are people are, are catching wind of uh, old Tommy Paine. Even John Adams, who later had some severe criticisms of T. Paine, uh, he had another quote having said that uh, had it not been for the words of Paine, uh, Washington's sword would have been raised in vain. So now it's interesting here because uh, Paine doesn't receive a dime for this. It's, you know, it's a smash hit, but he doesn't get any money out of having this. And he also doesn't necessarily want money for it either. Um, he's not a great businessman, but, uh, yeah, he's not looking to make money on this. He, he was more about, this is for the good of the people type of a thing. And, and, you know, it was actually costing him money to put this thing out that, uh, these pamphlets, um, this common sense was being passed out, um, at virtually no cost type of thing. So a lot of people are gathering this thing up and he's swaying a lot of popular opinion is now, um, um, different than it was prior to Common Sense being published. I mean, it was a, it was certainly a game changer. Oh, absolutely. Now, if um, if the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, uh, is has come out, um, they're actually declared. We have an army now. There, there's you know Bunker Hill kind of showed the resolve of uh, that this is going to be a bloody conflict. We're not just going to you know debate. Societies aren't going to solve this one for us. Um, it's not going to be a political thing. There has to be some bloodshed, if you will. Um, if the Declaration of Independence is the official breakup letter with England, then common sense is the Taylor Swift angry, I'm dumping you, you suck kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and it inspires the revolution, support for the revolution, disdain for the crown, and then most importantly, it got people to volunteer for the cause. So we're going to read this incendiary, fiery language of common sense out loud in a tavern after you've got a couple of nice ciders in you. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're going to be like, oh, and by the way, a, uh, if anyone wants to uh, take all that anger, that palatable anger that's filling the room and, uh, you know, use that to go join the military. There's a recruiter right here at the edge of the tavern. That's right. Sign up so, now, boys. Um, Payne's success with common sense is obvious. Guys like John Adams understand the value of the argument and they decide to just roll along with the tidal wave. Common sense is widely publicized for its time. And like we said, still doesn't receive any money for it. Um, Payne preferred peace, but understood the need for violence towards a greater good. Another one of these great quotes from Payne is summarized as, uh, if there must be violence, let it be in my time so that my children's lives may be peaceful. Mm. Pretty good quote. There. Yeah. Um, if it's going to happen, let, let it happen now so that my kids can exactly. live in, in peace and prosperity. Now, Payne's not just a guy who's going to write. He's also willing to get his hands a little dirty here. 
he actually enlists uh, and serves under General George Washington, whom he immediately becomes friendly with. Um, due to the difficult early war efforts of the revolutionaries, though, Washington's early days of the, uh, the war, as we've covered on other episodes here, uh, check out the uh, Nathan Hale episode if you want to know a little bit more about that, or even the Aaron Burr episode that, uh, Dad, you did a great job explaining about uh, the tensions in New York at that time. Yeah, <laughs> things um, were not real smooth. No. Yeah, and although he did volunteer, I mean, he really wasn't picking up a gun because a guy, I think his Quaker background is still up there. He's still on, like a nonviolent kind of gang, but he's going to do whatever he can. He serves with... Uh, he's cool with violence as long as it's uh, the last resort. for the Yeah, yeah. And, but he's uh, uh, the aide-de-camp, if you will, to General Nathaniel Green. So he's not He's not in the trenches shooting at one another, but he's doing whatever he can. I mean, it, that's his that's his uh, tool bag that, you know, he's good at writing and, and, and that type of thing. So that's well, where well, the they're going to put him. the pen is mightier than the sword, right. except for that one time you really need the sword. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. When you bring a pen to a sword fight. <laughs> yeah. When you bring a sword to a gunfight, Indiana. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got, it's a pretty good um, gig that he has working with uh, General Green over there. Uh, and he, like I said, he's friendly with Washington, who's um, Washington is not the revered guy just yet. He is an ass kicker and everybody loves him. But he's not uh, Father Washington just yet. So uh, his whole army's gimmick is, uh, well, we're not going to win today, but we need to live to see the day we can win. So there's this absolutely brutal winter of 76 encampment that sees uh, mass desertion. Uh, a lot of people not renewing um, that they did sign up after Thomas Paine's readings were in the tavern. They had a couple yeah. of beers in them. They did sign up and then they did their tour of duty and said, all right, well, I can yeah. go home now, right? And initially, I mean, things were, were pretty well. I mean, up in up in Massachusetts and Boston, we had uh, Bunker Hill or Breed's Hill, uh, and even the Battle of Lexington and Concord, although we did uh, lose some people there. They kicked the shit out of the out of the British as the Redcoats as they were retreating back to Boston. So I mean, they, they definitely bloodied their nose. And then at, at uh, Bunker Hill, they 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 took that, and the the British sail out of uh, Boston. So every hey, terrific, you know, we we drove them out of Boston, but they just sailed into New York, landed in Long Island. The uh, the George Washington and the uh, Colonials are. <laughs> they're getting the shit kicked out of them. So they lose, they lose in Long Island. They lose in, in Brooklyn. They narrowly escape complete annihilation by sneaking off of Brooklyn in, in the middle of the night. They lose Manhattan. They lose Fort Washington. They lose White Plains. They lose Fort Lee. They're retreating across New Jersey. Uh, they barely escape, um, again, annihilation by the, uh, the British that are hot on their trail by sneaking across the um, the Delaware River um, into Pennsylvania. It's now December, all right? Um, a lot of these guys that initially signed up with the, with the hurrah, hurrah, we're going to, you know, we're going to um, fight the good cause and everything else. Well, their enlistments are up. What they originally signed up for is, is up on uh, January the 1st. Um, there's estimates by historians that 90% of the people that were in Boston, surrounding Boston, through the New York campaign and, and the whole loss going through across New Jersey, there's like 90% of those guys are now gone. So you're you're down Jesus. to a you're down to a skeleton crew here that uh, 
uh, are really still intact with uh, with Washington. I mean, these these are militia. They're not. It's not a standing army yet. Washington yeah, uh, was Washington was handed a shit sandwich. Hey, General, go go fight the one of the best armies and certainly the best navies in the world, and you're going to fight for your independence against these guys. He's getting his ass kicked. Well, and it's not much of a fair fight. The idea is that the revolution might not make it through this brutal winter of 76. Um, so quick question for you guys. What do you think? Um, what do you do when your old mixtape isn't working anymore? You Good. mortgage the house and make a new one. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. That's pretty simple. <laughs> the musician himself. Uh, all right. Kahuna knew the exact right answer for that. Time to uh, time for a follow-up album here. So Thomas Paine follows up. If common sense is his appetite for destruction, then it's time for uh, a big second album called uh, The American Crisis. Okay. While not as track-for-track track, nonstop action as common sense, uh, he does offer up a little November rain action with the immortal line uh, during the American Crisis, these are the times that try men's souls. And that's being read out loud. You got a quote for me? No, I, I certainly do have a quote. But just again, and I don't want to belabor the point, but a little background on this whole thing. Washington's in a, in a world of shit. Um, you know, 90 percent of his guy estimates of 90 percent of his guys have already skedaddled. Um, he's left with a skeleton crew. Uh, there's a lot of enlistments that are going to become uh, due on January the 1st. And if he doesn't pull the rabbit out of his hat here real quick, um, you know, all is all is kind of lost. Uh, so in early December, old Tom Paine writes this uh, American crisis. And that was a series of, of articles, if you will, um, that he put out. But the first one was probably the most famous one. And it was really a halftime, a halftime pep talk. Uh, you know, all right, we, we bloodied their noses. We, you know, we, we can we can inflict some damage on these guys. This is the Kurt Russell miracle halftime speech. Yeah, the Kurt, Kurt Russell, or I was thinking, uh, remember the Titans, you know, they're in, their, they're in the championship game with Denzel. But all right, you know, we're in a fight. Uh, yeah, we're certainly in a fight here. Um, and Tom Paine writes this um, right before Washington um, is going to um, – put an attack onto, onto Trenton. So this is right before the Battle of Trenton. So this is like a pep talk right before the Battle of Trenton, where that, that famous scene of him crossing the Delaware and, and capturing the, the, the Hessians. But um, Tom Paine writes, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier, the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, what we esteem too lightly, is dreary dreariness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price on its goods. It would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. So, I mean, this was like the pep talk. These guys then three days later cross the Delaware, go into Trenton and have a major victory. So at least they're ending the year before these enlistments come up on January uh, the 1st that we've got a victory. We just kicked the shit out of the Hessians who were 
um, British mercenaries. They were hired by the British to fight yeah. uh, so for them. Beat up the Germans who had a pretty It's a victory. Good it's finally we got we got one on in the win column here. Well, it's, uh, it's not bad there. Uh, he also that's being read out loud uh, uh, by Washington to uh, the troops. So the, the rallying cry is there. Um, now, this one, he seems to the resolve of the revolution is rekindled and Payne's literary skills yet again seem to have saved the day here. Uh, he's pretty popular, right? Payne's a popular guy. If you want to read his stuff, he's cool. Uh, but he's not without his fair share of enemies, though. Uh, when he was appointed to the Congressional Committee on Foreign Affairs, he quickly gets into a beef with a guy by the name of Silas Dean. Now, off the top of your head, Cones, Silas Dean, uh, villainous name, right? Little snidely yeah. whiplash to him. <laughs> yeah. Hold there's on. like a there's like a an annoying elegance to him. Yes. Like like the villain from uh, the one of the Zorro movies. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, he's got a, a beef with this guy by the name of Silas Dean, and it's uh, it's interesting because uh, Payne is almost to a fault uh, a principle-driven man, and he sees Silas Dean, another member of this uh, uh, Congressional Committee on Foreign Affairs, as a uh, total soulless war profiteer. Yeah, well, <laughs> well Payne is is made secretary to the Committee of Foreign Affairs, so he's and and uh, the Continental Congress ships him over to uh, France and try to work some magic over in France that we can get some allies here and, and some financial aid and military aid and everything else with France. Um, and Silas Dean is over there with him as well. And, uh, you know, Thomas Paine sees some uh, shady dealings here that uh, he's a little suspect of and, and actually comes out and accuses Silas Dean of being a, a nothing more than a war profiteer, that he's he's trying to make money on on the American cause. Yeah, and he fucking... twirls his mustache. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely Seize some villainous thing. Wait till you hear this one, too, because it's Thomas Paine has some real he has some axes to grind legitimately. Um, Dean's employer is a pretty powerful guy. Lose reception time. Very powerful guy. Possibly the most, the money bags himself, Robert Morris, from an earlier episode of America, the man who funded the revolution, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, you know, th- that's who Dean's working for. Payne's beef with Dean and Morris gets him on the bad side of another founding father by the name of John Jay, very famous uh, uh, New York uh, uh, big swinging dick. Um, Payne was largely criticized as being too cozy with France, and his popularity takes a hit uh, by his attacks on the very popular John Jay. So Thomas Paine is popular, but now he's, it's like when a, an underground rapper goes after somebody established and people <laughs> are just like, yeah, yeah, why don't you shut up, you open micer? You know what I mean? Go Ooh. sign up for your you know, open mic night and uh, let Jay-Z do what Jay-Z has to do. We're calling you out, Machine Gun Kelly. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Jay and these other revolutionary figureheads, um, they, they start to, uh, they get, they get our boy T. Payne so frustrated that he resigns from the committee uh, having received little to no money, he literally—I don't think he could afford food that night. That's how little he had to show for his efforts here. Yeah, part and part of the problem too is that he's rev- he's making accusations against uh, Silas Dean, which was like privileged information that he only knew of that because he was secretary to the committee. So, like, he's giving away trade secrets here um, that wasn't to be publicized, but he's publicizing right. it anyhow. So. Um, fucking he, bloggers. He's yeah. the Perez Hilton of his day here. Right. Um, annoying, you know, it, it, it's because it, he's right. Here's the thing. This is the saddest part. Um, 
this I would say this is uh, you know another part of his his loserdom, if you will. Morris himself, all right, Robert Morris himself, the guy who is uh, you know kind of pushing T Pain out of the way in favor of Silas Dean, who is working for him. Uh, him and many others later discover Payne was right all along. Silas Dean is a real piece of shit. <laughs> right. And once Payne gets publicly exonerated by Robert Morris, who has to write a formal apology out to him saying, hey, man, I, and to, to his credit, too, to Robert Morris's credit, he does uh, say that now all of a sudden he's back again in the good graces of the cause, particularly in Philly. Uh, and, and we know about Philly. All you got to do is win a playoff game and they love you again. Um, <laughs> That's all it takes is a win. <laughs> Payne is a wild dude, though. Some of his biographers often remark that his uh, his best uh, quality, like we said, is his constancy. So in football, there's the old adage, your best ability is your availability. So you might not be the best quarterback, but you're never hurt. You're always there. You're ready to play. So Payne moves on from the foreign affairs business and becomes the clerk for the Pennsylvania Assembly. While there, he continued to argue, and this is an important point. This is where you don't want to talk about him being a a, a guy worth a, a true um, a, a true revolutionary in a philosophical sense. How can we talk about having a free country and still employ the use of slavery? All right, it's wildly unpopular with people who own slaves. Where it's like, oh, by the way, uh, we're getting rid of because again, there's the humanism issue and the Mercedes Benz thing and all that other stuff, but. In fact, it was part of the rift between Payne and some of the founding fathers uh, because they needed the southern colonies to support them. So the south, you had Washington, you had all these guys with uh, a lot of the, the standing military you know, folk. You had a lot of money down south in the agricultural you know, colonies that they were going to be able to put uh, a little bit more effort in uh, to the war. If uh, you know, needing supplies, shit like that, what are we going to do? We're going to piss off the south where all of the cotton's coming from. We're going to need uniforms. We're going to have a standing army. We're going to need this. We're going to need the people in Charleston to get involved with us. Uh, so you had to do that great quote from Colin Quinn where it was, uh, you wanted to talk to the South, you went through Virginia. Virginia, then you give a message to Virginia, Virginia reaches out to the South for you. But Payne's got this East Coast liberal thing going on where he's you know denouncing all this stuff here. But true to his word, um, Payne is actually uh, a member of the, he writes the preamble in 1780, to the Abolition Act at the Pennsylvania Assembly that frees over 6,000 slaves in Pennsylvania. And again, I think that a lot of that has to go with Pennsylvania having uh, such strong uh, Quaker roots that, you know, they Definitely. they had a strong equality to all, um, not only to um, the slavery issue, but uh, women's rights and everything else. So yeah, it, it becomes was, a human rights issue right, uh, on exactly. that stuff. And so he, good to his word, I mean, oh, it's going to take a long, long time for Abe Lincoln to get that whole uh, Emancipation Proclamation thing going on here. Uh, but old T-Pain firing on all cylinders here, a man dedicated to his cause. Yeah, I mean, even even to backtrack it a little bit, T-Pain was uh, trying to uh, heavily influence Thomas Jefferson to keep um, the whole slavery issue, uh, the abolishing the slavery, that all men are created equal type of thing in the Declaration of Independence. It, but, you know, was not quite successful with that, again, with trying to unite all 13 of the colonies together as one rather than 13 individual colonies fighting the British, um, uh, the British uh, Empire. Well, because imagine how scary it would be to have an American revolution that finally establishes your freedom from England and then you immediately descend into civil war. Right. Kind of like Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but without use of hyperbole. Payne literally wrote the book that got the revolution into overdrive, exposed war profiteering, fought in the war itself, 
played an instrumental role in the creation of a brand new nation, right? And doesn't have a cent to show for it. So like many of the original founding fathers, shit does not really go well for pain after the war, you know? But are there a bunch of straight white males? How could it not go well for them? They have the money. No, America's a real thing now. Uh, it is all exciting. Um, his popular writings and his government work, Payne's got no money. Uh, he asked his old friend and current president, George Washington, for a little bit of help here. So uh, Congress had ignored the president's. Think about that one for a second, Dad. Is that nuts that this guy's got no fucking money? Yeah. Penniless. And, uh, you know, he was so instrumental in rallying everybody to the cause type uh, kind of a thing early on with some of his writings. And again, uh, instrumental in uh, having France come on board uh, in the aid of the country that, uh, and there you go. Now the, the war is won. We've got a whole brand new nation type of thing and he's got nothing. He doesn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> it's the truth on that one. So it's interesting because uh, we had to take a break there for just for a second because much like um, Thomas Paine had to reach out to George Washington and ask for help. Uh, I had to answer a phone call from uh, one of my favorite comics, a guy I've been a fan of for a long time and a guy who's become a, uh, I, I'm very honored to have a friendship with. Uh, Bobby Kelly just called me, Dad, and I have a rare gig tonight. I'm going to be at Soul Joel's, uh right outside of Philly. So now I have to go from the podcast studio and pretend I didn't help someone move in these shorts tomorrow. These are the times to try comedic souls, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe you didn't write that down here. So I apologize for um, the jumping around here, but uh, big shout out to the kahuna across the table making this a seamless transition for us. Um, it is embarrassing. It's a guy like T-Pain is sitting there saying, uh, I, I, I don't want any money. I want to do this for the right cause. And he goes, holy shit. All right. You guys never took care of me at the end of this thing. Right, You're supposed, right. to, supposed You to guys are all read my stuff. You guys all got fired up by my stuff. A lot of the things that were took place because of, of me, you know, firing up the troops and everything else. And we finally did win our independence from that that hated British monarch, and now we're all good. We're our own country, and I don't have a pot to piss in. Yeah, uh, here's how good of a friend it is to have. If you wanted to have a friend, G Dubs is your guy. All right. Um, so he's becoming. He, he's not quite Father Washington yet, but he is about as popular as you can be in America. Yeah, this he's is, oh, he's he's definitely hero status, big time. Oh yeah, the war is over. He's not wearing a cape, but he's a a, a superhero for Might sure. As well have yeah. Yeah. No, no, not Big even W on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Congress ignored the president's request to help uh, Thomas Paine. And Washington is such a good friend that he then starts petitioning the state assemblies individually. So that means he's going to eat, you know, writing to all these different places um, and trying to be like, guys, listen, help me out here. Uh, this guy did a lot of work for us. Throw this guy a bone for yeah. crying out loud. He was so influential. You can help him out. Like, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this fool. Like, it, just help him. Yeah, even his detractors are saying, well, yeah, it was very effective what he did. Um, but because here's the craziest thing, man. Um, these two states that wind up responding, one is the state of New York, which uh, gives him a house. The house is actually in uh, New Rochelle. Oh, and wow. it is uh, still a, a significant historical um, preserved site, I believe, in New Rochelle. And there's a whole um, renaissance with his life that New Rochelle is really the catalyst for, which is cool. Um, and then Pennsylvania, of which he was a member of their assembly, gives him a, uh, a, a small cash settlement, if you will. 
um, which That's is cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like it's classic liberals. We're all for the causes and all for equality. But I mean, I did do a lot more than the rest of you guys. So I feel like I deserve oh a little God. more. <laughs> <laughs> but get this. This is not a bad little uh, patch of land here. That estate in New Rochelle, 277 acres. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to mow that guy's lawn. No, <laughs> not even a little. Payne's got his house now, but what's a revolutionary to do, Dad, once the revolution's over? Time to find another revolution, I guess. <laughs> so, they nope. say you want a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, there's only room for one reference maker. <laughs> okay. Daniel Lane. It's um, Interestingly enough, no relation to us, Dad, but uh, an Irish political scientist by the name of Edmund Burke, who is the father of conservatism, okay, which, by the way, was originally called classical liberalism, if you want to get confused. Remember, we always say everything changes definitions with the times. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, left becomes right and right becomes left sometimes. Stand uh, up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Yeah, it's uh, right, left, uh, stage left. left. Up, down, um, left, right. X, X, three, three. Hadouken! <laughs> uh, but Edmund Burke had written a scathing review of the uh, French Revolution that was getting um, off the ground around this time. And the American Revolution ended in a treaty, started a new nation, and eventually the British and the Americans became friends again. So if that's an amicable divorce where we, you know, we had some kids and some good times together, we just don't want to be together anymore. The French Revolution is like O.J. Simpson and Nicole's divorce. <laughs> it oh, doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, France had all the right ideas. They had a philosophical revolution based on the ideas of equality, inspired by the works of Rousseau, who, by the way, Rousseau, um, you know, it, it's Locke and Hobbes and Calvin and all that other stuff. It really a lot of the same philosophy that the uh, Americans are reading, uh, you know, in the taverns that Thomas Paine's breaking down into simple terms. Um, that's being read by uh, the French as well, who a large portion of them are starving. France is almost bankrupt at this time because they threw a lot of money into tossing a middle finger at England by getting involved in supporting the American Revolution. So um, they wanted uh, you know, an end to the monarchy. They wanted the basic needs of the people met. Somehow it didn't really end so peacefully though. Um, Burke is on the attack of the revolution early, and Payne is an ardent supporter of it. So Payne writes uh, a response mixtape to uh, Ed Burke's <laughs> mixtape. Right. right. Um, his, uh, it's pretty great. This one is now called The Rights of Man as a rebuttal slash subreddit to Burke's work. All right. Um, it is impossible, Dad, it is impossible to describe the French Revolution quickly. But we're going to have to imagine, if you will. Well, I'm going to leave it to you then. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in, you do all the heavy lifting. Well, it is American loser, so we don't have to go into crazy, crazy detail about those crazy French because we have no listeners over there. <laughs> A logical, striving for the best, truly well-implemented idea being carried out by Bane from Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> so this was a beautiful moment for uh, for Kahuna here. Um, yeah, one of the should have had cameras. <laughs> one of the things that I am going to throw in here, though, uh, Edmund Burke is against the French Revolution, and he he publishes this whole thing and his arguments as why they're they're incorrect with their revolution. Tom Paine then writes or publicizes the rights of man in rebuttal to Burke's work. Uh, that doesn't sit real well with the English. Uh, 
that particular publication, Tom Paine's publication, is then banned in England. He's tried for um, subversion, uh, and actually he's tried in absentia. In other words, <laughs> they, they hold court on this guy, on Tom Paine, even though he's not there. He, meanwhile, he's skedaddling out of England, and he's going over to France where he's uh, being welcomed initially by the by the French because, you know, he's a supporter of the French Revolution. So. Well, and they are likening themselves to the American Revolution. Get a load of this one. Uh, Americans that were being given honorary French citizenship early on in the revolution. Just keep in mind, the French Revolution started off as a great idea. Um, they... It is tough with Fourth of July being compared to Bastille Day because we didn't behead anybody on the Fourth yeah, of July. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Americans that were given honorary French citizenship because of their admiration uh, for them and the likening of the cause of revolution and liberty uh, would be Alexander Hamilton, uh, George Washington, Ben Franklin, and even our own Thomas Paine. Paine decides, like you said, Dad, he's going to head on over. Payne's book is a massive hit. This mixtape, the, the rights of man thing, people are reading it. They are digging it. He's getting into this whole, he's just tapping into a whole nother vein right now. Um, His palms are sweaty. Exactly. really is. Heavy. Dude, it's not even is far from that. Is there on his sweater already? <laughs> With mom's spaghetti? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, just to give people a date, too, so you don't think this is all happening uh, one day right after the other. It is now 1792. And Payne heads over there thinking he's going to enjoy a little bit of his uh, celebrity, uh, you know, as they are getting ready to translate the second part of his rights of man. My man, this is like a movie. It's like it, it, it's OK. You can be very vague. Like they don't let you know that it's been 10 years since the last thing happened. But I've been watching it's all of... supposed to happen over like the course of a year and a half. I've been watching a lot of 24 lately. So yeah. I yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Bim, bim. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get the clock going. You gotta get the clock going. Yeah, uh, so Thomas Paine looks over and goes, "Damn it, Chloe!" Uh, <laughs> any revolution that here's the problem. He gets over in 1792. That's right when this Bane thing comes to power. By the way, if you want to know this, the Dark Knight Rises that is borrowed heavily from the Russian and French revolutions for what Bane carries out in Gotham. True really? story. Oh yeah, yeah. Nolan was very you, uh, Nolan. He was so good with that man. Um, but any revolution that includes. A period known as the Reign of Terror has a couple flaws in it. Yeah, there's a, there's a few things that went wrong. Just a few? Yeah, well, uh, Payne is in favor of smashing the aristocracy, uh, except that he's being treated now as a member of the aristocracy. So it's like we, we got rid of royal bloodlines and stuff, but now it's it's a haves and a have-nots argument. And Thomas Paine's coming over and they're like, oh, yeah, we're uh, translating your book and you have how many acres back in uh, America? <laughs> so that's the thing. Everybody always thinks when it's about equality, they think that something's going to go on their plate. No one ever realizes sometimes shit has to go off, off your plate. plate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't. Uh, he was against the um, the monarchy, but he wasn't looking to kill the king. He was really no. looking to expel the king from from uh, power, you if you some, will. You got but not necessarily kill him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. strongly go. worded letters. I didn't say behead him. <laughs> yeah. We wanted that. Now he's against uh, the. At this point, they've now captured. Now, without, I don't want to say the guy's name because it, it makes me feel compelled to unpack him. But this guy, uh, uh, Robespierre, um, is the head of. He's the intellectual head of uh, what becomes the Reign of Terror, if you will. And the problem is that they capture the king, right? So King Louis, who again, just a few years earlier, is sending troops over and supplies over and supporting the Americans. We have a country because of him, right? Payne finds out that he's been captured and they plan to execute him. Okay. 
executions um, are interesting around this time because they're being carried out with uh, the guillotine, which has also picked up the nickname the National the Razor. National Razor. Are you serious? Yeah. That's a nickname? Dude, they were beheading people nonstop, and it became... You get beheaded! You get beheaded! You get beheaded! That's right. You look under your seat, you get beheaded! You look under your seat, you just put you right into the guillotine. <laughs> now, if you look under your seats, That's right. you're you have on... a red X. That means you get guillotined. Oh, you're on the fast pass to the guillotine. Dude. But they would behead people for almost any reason whatsoever, and the, the, the Jacobins are the group that that's like... The, that's Bane and his inner core, if you will. Um, Payne is uh, getting in trouble. He's run afoul of the Jacobins now because, first of all, he's almost an aristocrat to begin with. So there's the idea that they're like, oh, well, we're trading uh, royalty for uh, just people with money now. Um, so he's against the execution of King Louis, who had since been captured. And he says, well, I don't I'm against public. Ed I'm against the death penalty in general. And I'm also I have this you know a, a sense of loyalty because this guy's the reason why the American Revolution worked. This was a, a benevolent monarch to a degree. So um, this did not sit well with the Jacobins at the time. And old T. Payne himself just barely misses a date with the National Razor on his own <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, Payne gets imprisoned and sent to Luxembourg. And in classic Payne fashion, he sat down, imprisoned by the French. And he goes, finally, a chance to get some writing done. <laughs> <laughs> some quality alone time. Arrogant bastard. Well, his, uh, his constancy is on display yet again. This time, he was hell-bent on taking down religion um, with his book, The Often Misquoted Age of Reason. Okay? So Carlin used to even say that on stage. You know, once I reached the age of reason. And um, <laughs> it, it's weird. This gets mistaken as an atheist text. But you want to talk about how revolutionary this guy is? Thomas Paine was in favor of a form of uh, uh, welfare, if you will, that pretty much would have been considered social security, right? He was anti-slavery 100 years before the country got anywhere close to that. Um, he's also anti-monarchy. Um, you know, he's flipping the middle finger to the 1%. He's, this guy is radical, yeah. fair to say? Yeah, and uh, women's rights and the whole nine. And now he's going against um, the religious institutions that uh, um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of... Uh, um, either political or religious institutions that he's not trying to tear down. He is, uh, he's definitely, um, he's definitely got a sex pistols thing going on here of, uh, you know, middle fingers all around. And, uh, he writes this age of reason book. He gets out of prison thanks to future president James Monroe. Okay. Um, who he would have, um, I guarantee you, if the Monroe Doctrine had come out uh, mm -hmm. around that time frame, that Payne would have had a big issue with him, even though it was like, I know you got me out of prison, but here's a blog I wrote calling you a fucking idiot. Um, here comes the weird left-hand turn in his life, though. Payne is convinced that his imprisonment was somehow uh, the work of his former friend and ally, George Washington. Yeah, he accuses Washington of, uh, uh, that's why I was imprisoned by the French, because of some backroom dealings that you had with the that George Washington had with the French. It's pretty exciting. Um, it, it, it's, it's a baffling time, too, because in this letter, he writes letter to Washington, which is, uh, you know, um, it's got all the mixtape underground uh, hip hop quality you could be looking for. He attacks Washington, calls him corrupt and tyrannical, uh, all for his supposed involvement in this imprisonment. But it backfires. You said Machine Gun Kelly earlier, Cahoons, versus Eminem. That's the one you were talking about? Mm -hmm. That's what happens here. This backfires. Pain is popular in America still, but Washington has now ascended to godlike status. 
All right. He's got it. He's put out a few too many LPs and a few too many EPs for us to even George try to so, George was so good. Thomas Paine switched genres. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, go a different way here. Yeah. Thomas Paine's an actor now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it, it was like when um, it's like when other podcasts try to come at American Loser. We, we let you know. All right. You, we don't have to even respond to you. You're not in our league, buddy. Um, the letter read like Tony Romo attacking Tom Brady, uh, and it helped diminish his status. So combine in your attack on religion, which is still pretty popular in America. Yeah, that uh, that was a, a definite game changer. He swayed a lot of opinions against uh, himself um, by attacking religion. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's like a lot of times with progressives, you'll get so many people to rally around one particular cause and then the progressives have to move on to the next cause. Otherwise, it uninvents them. You know what I mean? Right. And so they need to, like Marty McFly, they got to make sure they still show up in the picture, you know? <laughs> so they're like, all right, on to the next cause, right, guys? And they're like, no, nah, I'm not really in on that one. And you're like, but, but guys, come on. <laughs> it's, um, so he he's definitely got himself into a little bit of trouble. And The Age of Reason, very important text, not an atheist book, right? He, he still is saying, like, there is a God and, you know... Uh, I believe in a creator, if you will, but I don't like how we're organized right. in a power structure with it here on Earth. God is within all of us. Right. Which, which I goes think, back to his Quaker yes. roots. <laughs> you did a great job breaking that down. I was very excited. So there's your full circle on that one here. Um, but nobody's wanting to hang out with pretty much it, it's Thomas Paine has now become a bit of a pariah and a pariah being that you don't want to be seen in public with him. You don't want to take a picture with him. He's got a little, uh, not that he's been forced into hiding kind of a thing, but he's definitely, um, there was a minister supposedly that was defrocked for having shaken hands with him. Yeah, he was, uh, he was person non grata for sure. Yeah. So, um, you're making a lot of OJ references. I'm surprised you didn't sneak one in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you don't want to, you got to wait a little while before you join his fantasy league again. <laughs> um, but, uh, so again, that book is constantly taken out of context to this day still. Um, and Thomas Paine, a man full of brilliant ideas, uh, mastered literary skills, and almost no friends or money left right now. There's one exception though. Uh, one president who literally just kind of does his own thing. All right. Um, it, it's impossible for it to be TR. All right. I'll let you guys let the listeners know. <laughs> yeah. um, but one president who always kind of did his own thing, pretty cool guy, definitely a guy with a, a more French vibe to him than some of the others. And definitely a, a man who enjoyed his, uh, his wine, if you will. Um, you've been to his house, his estate in Monticello, dad. Yeah. You want to give away the name of him? Uh, I think his first name was Tom. Yep. T. Jeffs. T. Jeffs. T. Jeffs. <laughs> T. Payne is a regular guest of the Thomas Jefferson Thomas White Jefferson, House. Right. So he's bringing him in on the regular man. They're hanging out. And it's funny because, uh, again, John Adams has some stern words about uh, he called Payne a propagandist and all this stuff. And we know that Adams and Jefferson weren't really the, the closest of buds towards the end days. But uh, Jefferson is constantly bringing him into the White House. But he's not giving him any money either. Payne will die in relative obscurity. His detractors and supporters both staunch in their positions still. He dies in, of all places, uh, Greenwich Village, New York City. And this is not when you wanted to be down in Greenwich Village necessarily. Uh, he dies in 1809. And on his deathbed, he gets asked by the doctor caring for him if he wanted to accept Jesus Christ as his savior. Uh, again, this Age of Reason book. Uh, Thomas just laughed and died. 
<laughs> uh, laughing would be less uh, right. <laughs> arrogant than how he actually went out. It's, it's pretty nuts, dude. In the Age of Reason, he questions the idea of Christ's divinity. Okay. Is that real? Is it was Jesus just a, a prophet or was he really the son of God? Is, he's just asking the question. Yeah. So he's doing the George Carlin routine a little bit here. And, uh, you know, in that book, and then they ask him, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your savior on your deathbed? Like a lot of the Roman emperors in the past have and all this other stuff. And pain is to have said, I have no wish to believe on that subject. And then took his final breath and died. That was his parting shot. He yeah. went out with a mic drop. Yep. <laughs> this man was the first rapper. I love this guy. <laughs> if, if they wanted to do a sequel to Hamilton, I would say a T-Pain. Uh, yeah, that would be a great, be great one. Because I, I am, I've become a fan of this guy here. Um, he is. Uh, Why is he here? Just because he's not in poverty? Penniless. And penniless. It's, it's what we do. Again, he's not. Um, He's not at the forefront of the discussion on the American Revolution like he should be. I was talking to you yeah, actually, during the breaks, and yeah, I was like, yeah, never. I real, I heard the name, but never knew the story. <laughs> yeah, once once he um, once he publishes this uh, Age of Reason kind of a thing, and there was a, and he was basically ostracized from from society. That uh, how can you how can you say that you know there's no uh, basis for religion? Um, he's again. The person non grata. Nobody wants to be with him. Nobody wants to accept him, type of a thing. And then he was not painted in any favorable light, even for the works that he did prior to the revolution to fire up the troops, to change those minds until basically 100 years later before they finally came around and said, you know what? Uh, going back and, and checking out some of the stuff that Thomas Paine was, was doing here. Uh, then popular opinion really started to turn, but it took a hundred years later before they finally came around to real to the realization that this guy wasn't um, all bad, uh, you know, as he was viewed on, upon his death. There's a little uh, William Wallace to him too, in that uh, he's not a, a negotiator. He's not like if if your cause is moral, then it shouldn't be uh, politics. You know what I mean? It should be. This is morality. We're on. This is good versus evil. You know, kind yeah. of a thing. So I, I admire the guy. I liked reading a lot about him, and I thought this was really cool too. That, uh, like we said, France is saying, well, he was the true spirit of the French Revolution. Which, by the way, uh, in conclusion for the French Revolution, so you guys don't think that we skipped over that, uh, Robespierre himself winds up accusing too many people of uh, being against the cause and orders too many uh, executions via the guillotine to the point where he gets imprisoned and then gets beheaded by the guillotine because everyone goes, all right, we got to get rid of this guy because he's pointing too many fingers right now. And we don't know who his new, he's got a new list coming out of people, enemies of the state. So uh, the only person who's able to kind of take France out of the reign of terror and into what becomes a very successful period of time for the, the, the French empire, if you will, is a little guy by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. So when your revolution in America ends with handshakes and borrowing the customs of the British and saying we're, we're, we're the son or the child of England, if you will, and then having a great relationship with them for centuries later, and the French Revolution ends with a dictator taking power, um, not exactly the, the best thing here. But they do say that if we'd listened to Paine, 
the the true moral part of the French Revolution would have been adhered to by his standards, what he set forth with the rights of man. So he has the, the age of reason, the rights of man, uh, you know, the American uh, uh, crisis. The, thank you. Uh, the American crisis. And of course, common sense, his most important document ever. Right. This guy freaking rules, except for the part where this is how wild he is, as he becomes more popular in his death, um, as most geniuses seem to be. Um, there's something interesting. There's still a chance for you then, Kev. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this podcast will be very popular uh, towards the uh, the close of this millennium. Um, when, my, when my grandkids are born. That's start listening. Okay. We'll get a load of this one. Um, this I thought was worth notice, uh, noting. Um, he was not allowed to be buried in a Quaker cemetery. Uh, his remains were stolen by a British newspaper man for a proper burial in England. Because the English were saying, Thomas Paine, this was an Englishman. So again, uh, for King, him, a, a very important intellectual, a British intellectual. Yeah, had it not been for England, the genius of Paine would not have been fostered to create right. America. Right. Um, so the British are now very proud to claim him as one of their key intellectuals. This newspaper man makes jewelry out of some of Thomas Paine's remains uh, and his hair. <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not exaggerating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it's an interesting neck bone uh, <laughs> garment you have there. Oh, once belonged to Thomas yeah. Paine. Right. It's a oh, it's a did, dream catcher. Did you put a little? <laughs> I, I love your earrings. What are they? Have you heard of Thomas Paine? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a uh, it, another Vera Wang reference coming into play there. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So this newspaper man, um, he actually winds up in prison at some point too. Not for that. But the bones and remains are left in the cellar. Yeah, he only made jewelry out of some of some of his remains. Right. And the uh, rest were uh, stashed away in his basement, in his cellar. As recent as the 1990s, um, there are still people. There's an Australian uh, millionaire uh, who claims to have uh, the skull of Thomas Paine. Right. Claims to own that as private property. His earthly remains are now impossible to verify at this time. Uh, and they try to get together for a proper burial and get his stuff back together. It's really t tough to tell, but New Rochelle kind of claims um, him as one of their local heroes, and they have uh, obviously some tourism to come in there and go check it out. You can see the, the Thomas Paine house over there. Um, almost like a CSI crime scene, though, uh, in this house in New Rochelle, they display uh, brain fragments and pieces of hair. What is wrong with these people? Yeah. <laughs> like they so, claim to don't you like, want one of that? Like they claim to like him, but then they, they parade his bones around. Like so what the fuck? The same stuff, brain fragments and hair. So the same stuff that OJ's cleaning off his gloves. Oh my is now god. On his... Oh come on. <laughs> Beat it first on your block. No. <laughs> that was too easy. With, with four small payments <laughs> of. Oh my god. Y'all sick. Uh, yeah, it's weird when my dad gets the grossest joke. <laughs> that was the most disturbed one. But uh, I thought this was worth knowing. You can check out the Thomas Paine Historical Site in New Rochelle. Once COVID blows over, I do plan on taking a ride up there. Another statue uh, in which they openly give the title of Father of the American Revolution. He really does have. Yeah. It's, it's his. Father Washington is up there, too. Uh, Jefferson for what he wrote. I mean, uh, John Adams for, you know, the way that he did every. I mean, there's so many true founding father but there's a legit argument that thomas paine is the father of the american revolution and one statue that openly states that is located where dad i don't know 
Bordentown, New Jersey. Oh, that's right. The Jersey connection. I forgot. Yeah, so, Bordentown. I mean, that's a that's a booming. That's a hot spot. I mean, that's a major tourist attraction. It is a man go who go see Tom Paine's statue in Bordentown, New Jersey. A man who absolutely changed the world. Kahuna, I want you to think of who to cast for him for the casting couch. Let me just throw this and then out I want too. To hit LP for anything else. Give yeah, I just want to throw notes, this brother. out. Upon his death, um, U.S. newspapers. <laughs> upon his death, U.S. newspapers re reprinted the obituary notice that was from uh, the New York Citizen, one of the uh, papers of the time, and it read his obituary in part read: "He lived long, did some good, and much harm." This kind of remained the. Uh, the consensus of the opinion on Tom Paine for quite some time, and it wasn't until after his death, about a hundred years later, uh, that things started to turn around. That now the Times of London uh, in 1937, all right, so a long time after his death, refers to him as the English of Voltaire. So that's, what a title, <laughs> English Voltaire. Yeah, that's a pretty that's Woo. pretty heavy duty stuff. Damn. Um, and then in uh, 52, um, Payne's bust was placed in New York University Hall of Fame. So, uh, you know, he is finally given some credit, but long after his death. And, you know, again, a guy that, that died penniless, other than the, the New Rochelle farm that uh, New York State gave him and the small, the small stipend that uh, the state of Pennsylvania gave him. It's, uh, it's exciting on that one. I, I had... Um I don't know who I would cast as uh, Thomas. I think Johnny Depp would be an interesting one. Oh, but it would have to. Wouldn't it have to be a British actor? Because can he live? He was born in Britain. I I don't know if I. No, there sure. are British actors that portray Americans, and there are Americans there sure that portray are. British. Yeah. So. Uh, the other guy I would say would be interesting would be uh, what's it? Toby Stevens, the guy from Black Sails, who played uh, Captain Flint. I would I'd listen to him as Thomas Paine on that one. And uh, off the top of your head, Dad, who are you thinking? I'm not. I think we should have John Wayne play Thomas Paine <laughs> personally. <laughs> yeah. You want to tell? I wrote down some ideas, Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. Well, he could certainly speak to the common man, right? That I get it. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. it was. It I worked. get it. Yeah. Don't give me the flowery. Uh, Looking at some uh, some portraits of Thomas Paine, he's got a he's got quite the big honker. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to like. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. The intellectuals uh, tend to. <laughs> but think about it, man. Um, while you're, uh, we're gonna probably exit on uh, on that one here. LP, I want to say thank you so much. You did some outstanding research. Did you miss anything? <laughs> well, we certainly went long, but uh, we did. But again, no, this I, is I Patreon quality. For, I think we're pretty good on. Yeah. I think we're pretty good with what we got there. Well, thank you for everything you did on that one. Um, great to be back with y'all yeah and it's great to know i'm adopted if you guys don't know that and they talk about uh nature versus nurture uh my long way of telling a story dad i think that's nurture <laughs> <laughs> sorry no problem i love you man um but we had a uh, a great time being back in studio here kahuna was behind the ones and twos if you guys want to make the jump over to patreon we do get to tackle these more ambitious topics there's some changes coming to loser it's going to be great you're still going to get four episodes every week every tuesday we're going to put out the free episodes they're going to be about an hour in length so we're going to make sure in order to adhere to the studio time uh there's going to be about an hour in length so it's going to be us getting right into it and hitting the, the topics hard uh going to be about 90 minutes or so usually for a patreon episode where we can get a little bit extra time here because mike and ming and kahuna have been very good to us to dive into something a little bit more ambitious this month's episode uh, is going to be the uss maine 
Okay, so if you want to know about a ship that changed the world in the course of history, that would be it right there. The Patreon episode. That is Patreon exclusive, which again, for just $5 a month, that's all it is, guys. Just go ahead, just throw me the five. You can go ahead and you can listen to the back catalog and enjoy it. The reviews have been through the roof for that. Everybody loves what we're doing over on Patreon. Um, check us out at, at American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. Uh, I'm at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram. Feel free to hit me up. I like talking with the fans of the show. We've made some really good friends out of these people, um, except for that one. Uh, the, the, there's a couple people that want to meet up with you, Dad, that I'm concerned about. I'm going to ask you to. <laughs> I'm a little concerned, yeah, too. I'm going to ask you to at least you know have a, another Tone person with you. Oh, OK. <laughs> All right. But. Anyway, uh, all that being said, we have an awesome time. If you want to leave a written review for the show, that also helps us out too. The American Loser YouTube page is coming out now. We finally got some content for that. Uh, we're going to be putting up uh, an episode, uh, interview episode uh, we did with uh, the great Mike Cannon, who has a movie out on Amazon. You should go check out. It's called uh, uh, Timing with Mike Cannon. He's got a great podcast uh, with my buddy Mike Feeney called uh, Irish Goodbye. Check them both out. And uh, I'm excited, guys. I'm going to go to Royersfield, Pennsylvania, Dad. Yeah, that would be tonight, uh, but of course this episode won't come out until after the fact. But. Yeah, so uh, if you, yeah, eventually on the news when a bomb goes off at Soul Joe's <laughs> Club, it'll be uh, me on stage in shorts for the first time. Disavow any prior knowledge. <laughs> exactly. But, Cahoon, you got anybody to go out on? Uh, nah, I'm blanking on this one. This Nothing. is the first one I'm going to just be like, the, for whatever reason, I was like, maybe young Robert De Niro, but. Ooh. I kind of feel like that'd be a cool Scorsese flick. Ooh, Scorsese doing Thomas Paine, Dad? Um, the Rolling Stones play and Thomas Paine walks up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, sometimes when they have modern music in those old flicks, it, there's a really cool juxtaposition. Sometimes it works. Agree. Sometimes it's Moulin Rouge. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> you gotta you gotta have to find somebody that is really going to be strongly convicted, uh you know, in his convictions, strongly towards his personal convictions as to bring I mean, this this is a guy that was penniless when he had opportunity to make some bucks off of his writings and chose not to for the for the common good. Uh, was thrown in jail, nearly faced execution by the guillotine. So <laughs> this is a he's he's got some uh, strong character to him. He's going to be a good one, man. But uh, this was very fun. Thank you for uh, your patience with us today, Cahoons. Thank you to all the listeners out there. means a lot, guys. Thank you to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe for taking great care of us as always. Uh, that was my Dolph of a dad. Uh, I'm KP Burke. And that was Thomas Paine, American Loser. the day I was born.